Chapter Fourteen of The Untempered Wind by Joanna Wood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. For thy life shall fall as a leaf and be shed as the rain, and the veil of thine head shall be grief, and the crown shall be pain. It was late autumn. The grapes were all cut, although their aroma still filled the air, for stray bunches, super-ripened by the frost, hung visible now upon the leafless stems, where they had been concealed by the foliage from the cutters. The late apples were all picked, and in the orchards were great piles of new barrels ready to be filled. Bright green fields checkered the face of the sombre countryside with vivid squares, showing the advance of the fall-sown wheat. The chestnut burrs had opened in the woods, and the hickory nuts were strewn thick beneath the trees. All the boys in Jamestown had brown-stained fingers from the shelling of walnuts and butternuts. The Indian corn was being cut and bound into tent-shaped shocks, so that the fields had the appearance of a plain set thick with tiny wigwams now and then along the roads a great wagon passed piled high with apples windfalls and coals going to the cider mills their drivers went out to ezra harman's and loitered about in his big barn where the cider press stood and watched their apples poured into the wide hopper heard them grinding and groaning between the wheels and saw their juices drain out through the clean rye straw into the pails beneath people began to talk about the threshing of the grain to bank up their cellars and to speak of the portents of a severe winter the leaves were all down they lay a foot deep along the roads where the maples grew in regular avenues and rustled wind-blown between the tree trunks in the woodland the squirrels skimmed about in their efforts to secure their winter hoard in the woods great heaps of hickory-nut hulls and emptied chestnut burrs showed where with their sharp teeth and persistent paws they had removed the superfluous covering before storing away the nuts the horses were growing shaggy and the dog's fur lengthening in short winter was drawing near in homer wilson's orchard all was noise confusion and work homer himself was packing the apples putting in a layer of newspapers then carefully laying by hand several rows of apples before emptying in the pailfuls of picked fruit that were brought to him for the bottom of a barrel in the orchard is the top of the barrel when it is opened by the dealers next in order to homer was sam warner who was heading the barrels the tap-tapping of his hammer ringing clear in the frosty air homer shouting out directions every now and then in a sepulchral voice from the depths of the barrel there was a great gathering in the orchard of the neighbors for a fruit dealer had bought up all the apples in jamestown to send to england and they were to be shipped by the carload upon a certain date so following the suggestion of the buyer to whom time meant money they had agreed to help each other with the fruit this was not a usual custom in jamestown there was too much jealousy to admit of such interchange of labor it was homer wilson's benefit this day and both outside in the orchard and within doors all was happy hurrying confusion 
there was nothing remarkable about the day or the scene but exactly a year after this homer wilson was to act in a somewhat different scene and after he played his part in that his neighbors recalled this day just a year ago they said who would have thought it bing white was in the wilson orchard and cy warner and other of their cronies no one ever expected bing to work his idleness was looked upon with tolerant indifference a perilous indication in this neighborhood where to be a hard worker and a good church-goer meant perfection and to fail in either grace was to be utterly lost people began to look at bing white attentively now and then and shake their heads with ominous import for the sun and air of the whites was daily becoming more elfish-looking more evil-eyed more mocking of speech more stubborn of purpose after racing here and there over the orchard he climbed not without scratched hands and torn clothes into the heart of a juniper tree that grew in the corner and hidden there began to make what was known among school-children in jamestown as a wolf-bite upon his arm this he did simply by bearing the arm putting his lips to the flesh and sucking at it until the blood showed in red pin-points at every pore this was a wolf-bite there was a thread of savagery running through these jamestown children hardly one of them but had a mark of this kind upon his arm but bing white's meagre arms looked hideously repulsive like raw flesh almost so completely was the skin disfigured by his vampire-like amusement the fading marks were of an ugly unhealthy color like a livid bruise the fresh ones fierily encarnadined and inflamed for bing pursued this pastime to a perilous pitch another custom indulged in every now and then by the boys and girls in jamestown was the making of fox bites which meant simply the rubbing with a moistened finger of a spot upon the back of the hand until the skin was worn away and a spot of red flesh left this was a fox bite no cut burn or bruise took so long to heal and in the little schoolhouse there were always some of those hungry-looking sores attesting the perseverance and fortitude of the sufferers rather gruesome pastimes these seem sprung perhaps from some indian custom witnessed by some early settler described by him to his breathless circle of little ones by them to be practised in their play and perpetuated in the mysterious manner that makes a meaningless mummery survive as a sacred rite myron holder's grandmother had been failing during the entire summer she sank rapidly as the autumn advanced her strength ebbing as the days shortened myron went no more to mrs dean's but stayed at home to wait upon her grandmother the old woman was a querulous invalid with no specific disease only a gradual decline of her vitality myron waited upon her untiringly giving her every possible comfort she could devise out of their scanty means and her scantier knowledge bitter as her grandmother's tongue had been harsh as had been her rule 
myron yet shrunk with a sick feeling of defencelessness from the hour when that tongue would be forever silenced from the moment when that rule ceasing she would be left rudderless in these days of autumn quietude little mai grew dearer and dearer to his mother she caught him to her in the pauses of her work to kiss him for a moment o oh, soft knees clinging o oh, tender treadings of soft feet cheeks warm with little kissings o oh, child child what have we made each other this was the translation of her heart's mute cry above her boy myron holder denied the religion of those about her given no other in its place founded for herself a new sect and created for herself a god and the god was this yellow-haired child and the worship she accorded him was expressed in every tender tendance of her loving hand he chattered away to her ceaselessly when he was awake and the echo of his uncertain tones mingling with her grandmother's bitter words robbed them of their sting mrs holder sank daily her tongue was silent now save for murmurs of discontent or chiding for her strength did not permit of much speech but her eyes shone balefully as they followed myron's figure about the room and sometimes when myron bent over her their depths were lighted by malignant mirth for her thoughts were turned to that little plot in the graveyard where two tiny pine stakes stood now marking a new boundary the day the first snow fell mrs holder's mind hitherto fixed solely upon her sorrows and myron's shame began to wander she too like her dead son began to speak of england but not so sweetly as he old bits of village scandal flashes of old spites against this one or that the expression of old dislikes broke from her lips with painful force together with reflections upon household affairs and daily needs which told that she was in spirit back amid the old manners and the old people one day myron watched her fall asleep and then crept out to the kitchen to steal a look at the boy who was also sleeping she returned in an instant but in that time a change had come to her grandmother's bewildered brain she was awake again and her eyes met myron's with cruel scorn as she paused involuntarily upon the threshold of the bedroom it was an expression that spoke not only of dislike but loathing fury hatred myron would have approached to replace the coverlets that were falling from the couch but her grandmother grew furious if she advanced a step out of my sight myron kind she cried out we ye what ye'll follow my son within his own doors to win him out you go out out myron retreated seeing her grandmother was confusing her with the memory of her mother thrice she tried to enter and thrice withdrew before the rage that seemed to shake the sick woman's frail form so cruelly then feeling she must have aid myron hurried to the street and going to the nearest house which happened to be mrs warner's knocked at the door will you come over she said 
when mrs warner answered her knock grandmother's out of her head she thinks i'm my mother and won't let me go near her poor old woman said mrs warner catching at a clean white apron poor old woman you've made her life a burden to her between you i'll be bound in a few moments they were in the cottage again and mrs warner installed herself in the sick-room somewhat disconcerted because mrs holder persisted in calling her bat but delighted that circumstances had brought her to the front at such a time for mrs warner was one of the matrons of the village who not yet attained to the elect like mrs deans mrs white and mrs wilson was yet far in advance of the young wives in experience and thought herself quite capable of sustaining any responsibility to be present and assisting at the coming of a life or the passing of a soul was the highest excitement and most precious pleasure these women knew but this was a height to be attained only after many years of wifehood and what novitiate of suffering experience years knowledge might fitly prepare for these mysteries the taking up and laying down of the burden the beginning and the ending of the spinning for from our first moments our hands are bound to the loom we must weave our own webs but fate doles out the thread and circumstance dyes the fabric not as we will but as destiny designs and death spares no pattern however lovely but stops the shuttle when our reel of thread is spun by what holy purification by what fastings by what soul-searchings may we prepare to enter nature's holy of holies surely ere entering the meanest hut of clay and wattles wherein life springs or withers we should put the shoes from off our feet but of all this mrs warner recked nothing it was not the spirit she was interested in but the body it was casting off the gasping lips and not the vital breath that already almost eluded them mrs holder sank rapidly the women began to gather in mrs warner maintained her place as chiefest in the synagogue and put aside with judicial firmness all hands but her own most of the women congregated in the kitchen where they eyed the scanty furniture and whispered of myron's hard-heartedness for she did not weep she was feeling bitterly her impending loneliness and isolation for deep down in her heart there yet lived that marvellous tenderness for kith and kin that takes so much to kill of a verity blood is thicker than water the woman dying so fast in that inner room was her grandmother the woman who had borne for her father what she had borne for my she clasped my in her arms and hid her face in his curls mrs holder's voice came fitfully through the half-closed door to the women outside mrs warner came to the door just as mrs deans entered the kitchen hurrying in from the outer air and bringing a new excitement with her to intensify the suspense mrs warner beckoned and whispered 
she's speaking of hearing music and singing now they mostly don't last long after that they not we oh strange race of dying people that are set apart from all men by death's approach that we never identify with ourselves oh weird world to which they go which doubtless we shall never enter oh dreary passage they must tread upon whose threshold we shall never stand oh awful pang of severance they must endure which we will never have to bear and yet fear not then spirit death's disrobing hand tis but the voyage of a darksome hour the transient gulf dream of a startling sleep mrs deans and mrs warner entered the room mrs deans experienced eye told her how nearly time was ended for the dying woman she turned to the kitchen you better come in myron she said myron with her child in her arms entered fearful yet of her grandmother denying her but the old woman's eyes held no knowledge of her presence now they wandered from one to the other of the throng of women impartially and then as they fastened upon the child and lightened as eyes might do which behold long-lost ones once dear she held out wavering arms to the child jed my own little lad she said myron went swiftly forward and laid my by her grandmother's side he nestled to her lovingly and she muttered tender words to him calling him jed and caressing him with fluttering fingers he clasped his warm arms about hers in which the blood was already chilling and smilingly fell asleep and a little later sleep came to her also it was the night after her grandmother's death and myron holder with a sinking heart had watched the form of the last visitor pass out of the gate the early dusk of winter enveloped the house and promised a long dreary night a night of terror she was to endure alone for the jamestown women had gone each to her own house and left her with her dead and her child her imagination stored with transmitted superstitions peopled each familiar corner with horrors she saw in every flickering light a death-fire in every shadow a shroud each breath of wind spoke of ghostly visitants each sound seemed to herald a light she lit the lamp in the kitchen and proceeded to undress my and put him in his cradle for the night pausing to listen between each movement she had been anticipating and fearing this ordeal for days now that it had come upon her she sickened at heart the definite darkness of night set in and the child slept she began to hear soft stirrings succeeded by shuddering silences beset by a thousand fears she pursued the worst possible plan she constrained herself to absolute inaction and sat her hands clasped in her lap an image of fear the silence about her gradually gave way to a babble of weird voices through which there suddenly sounded the muffled pat-patting of light footsteps 
as she became conscious of this definite sound all the imaginary murmurs died and she found herself in deep silence broken only by the muffled repetition of the soft sound that chilled her heart this noise which she recognized as actually existent stood out against the background of those imaginary fears with frightful distinctness all the time of fear which had passed seemed now to have been but an interval of listening for what had come at this moment the flame of the little lamp which had been for some time burning palely suddenly flared up once twice grew for an instant bluish then went out leaving her in the acme of her terror in darkness she closed her eyes and listened to the soft sounds coming now at intervals only but linked each to each by fear of the last and anticipation of the next forming a chain that bound her in the place of fear but at last silence fell again a silence most horrible she felt impelled to open her eyes and did so gazing with wide lids straight into the gloom there was nothing there for a moment her heart was reassured then came the thought of that open door behind her slowly she turned her head does any one live who has not at one time or other recognized that it may require under certain circumstances the supremest effort of will to look behind one that effort myron holder made but sustained the gaze but a moment for gleaming from the death chamber nay from the very couch of death shone two balls of vivid light with a moan of extreme terror myron slid from her chair and catching at the boy's cradle fell helpless to the floor homer wilson did not stand long knocking at the cottage door his heart misgave him when he saw there was no light homer had returned from town late that night his mother had told him of mrs holder's death she said no word of myron and homer forbore to question as he passed his father's and mother's room that night he heard his mother close the shutters and say it's a mighty spooky night i wouldn't like to be in myron holder's shoes a settin death watch all alone over a woman i had worried into her grave homer's heart stood still could it be possible those women had left myron alone surely not when it was customary for five or six to go and stay overnight in a house where death was surely not and yet the hags said homer to himself and went downstairs he was soon on the road with a lantern he recalled the death of his sister and remembered how the neighbor women had sat whispering together in the brilliantly lighted kitchen brewing tea for themselves and now and then stealing on tiptoe to look in upon the silent one arriving at the gate the darkness of the cottage gave color to all his vague fears of ill to myron as he crossed the little garden slinking cats drawn by their ghoulish instincts to the house of death fled before the light but pausing as he passed followed to the threshold their evil breath white in the frosty air their phosphorescent eyes gleaming in the dark when he saw myron lying prostrate and silent 
his first sensation was one of relief he had feared that she had fled into the desolate night he realized that she had been frightened and had fainted raising her in his arms he called her name softly her senses were already reasserting themselves she soon stirred looking up at him with eyes of blank terror which faded slowly into wonderment as she recognized him she held up her hands to him and pressed closer to the shelter of his breast he caught both her hands in one of his and groped for a chair with the other in turning his eyes caught a vision of the open door of the death chamber he saw dimly the couch with its rigid burden and saw those dreadful glaring eyes for a moment he caught his breath myron seeing the direction of his gaze clung shudderingly to him and hid her face on his arm an instant more and homer perceived the outline behind those gleaming spots it's a brute of a cat he said and myron understanding all at once the origin of the sound broke down in sobs of relief she caught up the lantern whilst he went in and seized the bristling creature crouching upon the corpse and flung it out among its lurking companions how is it you are in the dark asked homer the lamp went out she answered there's some oil in the cupboard he held the lantern whilst she filled and relit the lamp then he explained his presence how good you are said myron good he said his eyes fastening upon her forlorn figure bending over the cradle for my was stirring good then he burst forth what beasts these women are to leave you alone it was dreadful she said trembling the darkness the noises the loneliness those eyes and her looking towards the inner room then suddenly she caught his sleeve don't leave me till daylight will you oh don't i can't stay alone i am frightened i oh don't leave me will you leave you of course not i wish he checked himself abruptly it was on his tongue to say i wish i might never leave you but a sense of her absolute isolation smote him so keenly that the words stuck in his throat had he spoken then how many things might have been different for myron in her utter loneliness was ready to cling to any outstretched hand i'm going to make you some tea he said going to the bedroom door he closed it took his lantern out to the little lean-to woodshed and split up some bits of light wood with these he roused the dying fire to life with much precision he put on the kettle and when it boiled asked in a matter-of-fact way for the tea myron rose with my half awake in her arms and went to the pantry shelf to get it it was chill there she wrapped her apron about my's bare toes he soon went to sleep again and myron holder and homer wilson sat down together to drink the tea her eyes rested upon him as if well content and he noted this with delight the truth was they dared not yet stray elsewhere lest the spectres he had banished might gibber at her from the dusky corners of the room 
love is served on strange altars and the sacrifice of a heart was again proffered in that lonely cottage whose atmosphere was chill with the dreadful influence of death whose silence was broken by the soft breathing of a child of shame homer looked upon the woman of his heart and loved her when the first breaking of the skies ushered in the dawn he left the women returned early for it was considered an honourable thing to have the ordering of a funeral to be able to speak ex cathedra of the mode of procedure mr muir came the last ghastly toilet for the grave was made nothing remained but to wait for the morrow when the funeral was to be the women looked at her curiously when they came that morning and mrs warner expressed the sentiment of the rest when she said that myron holder is bad clean through any other woman would have been drove crazy last night but look at her she's a hardened one mrs warner did not consider that this speech cast any reflection upon herself and her friends who had subjected a woman to an ordeal calculated to drive her crazy night sank slowly down and once more the women departing cast wondering glances at myron's pale face steadfast in the knowledge that she would have some one near her to chase those horrid visions away when homer arrived she was sitting beside her sleeping child sewing upon an old black skirt of her grandmother's that some of the women with an eye to funeral effects had pinned up to suit her shorter stature and bade her sew that she might be properly clothed on the morrow the work was nearly done and the needle hung loosely between her listless fingers her eyes ached for lack of sleep every joint trembled from fatigue every nerve tingled from overstrain she greeted homer more by a gesture than by speech and perceiving her exhaustion he insisted upon her resting she made some demur but he overruled it with a word she rose a little unsteadily and bent over my where do you want him taken asked homer and lifted him in his arms she led the way to the little bedroom off the kitchen opposite to the one in which her grandmother lay homer laid my down upon the blue and white checked counterpane spun in england by myron's mother good night he said good night myron good night she answered in almost a whisper for she was inexpressibly weary almost before he had reached the next room she had sunk down upon her bed it was broad daylight when myron awoke and rose chilled and stiff utter weariness had overcome the discomfort of her cramped position she had slept as she had first thrown herself down she shivered as one does who has slept in his clothes the morning air was cold and the window panes glistened with frost hurrying out to the kitchen she found homer had done what he could for her comfort before leaving the stove held a glowing mass of hardwood embers evidently the fire had been well banked up before he stole away at dawn the kettle stood singing on the stove the table was drawn up by the fire and awkwardly set out with dishes for her solitary breakfast the hour of the funeral was at hand 
mr muir determined to have nothing to blame himself for in regard to his bargain had come dressed in his official broadcloth his horses stood outside the gate in all the panoply of sable plumes and black fly netting the latter surely superfluous but ornamental these horses looked as if they had never appeared before a less stately equipage than a hearse yet every one had seen them pass that very morning dragging an unpainted lumber-wagon they looked as if they had never known a baser burden than stained cherry with mahogany finish plated handles and beveled glass yet an unplaned pine box had constituted their load that morning and as they passed each onlooker had said to the other there goes old mrs holder's shell who's myron holder going with said gamaliel deans to his mother as they drove along to the village the day of mrs holder's funeral i don't know answered his mother mrs warner's took a mighty lot to do with everything so like as not she'll take her seems to me mrs warner's been putting herself forward some suggested gamaliel diplomatically indeed she has agreed mrs deans enough sight more and she's got any call for considerin all things they passed the little graveyard silent beneath the light snow is there any track asked mrs deans looking across the white expanse with her hands shielding her roomy eyes yes said gamaliel the shell was took out this morning you can see it from here he gazed interestedly across to where the corner of an unpainted pine box showed as the terminus of an ugly black track which the wheels of mr muir's wagon had scarred upon the snow they drove on without further speech the first snow had fallen in the night it lay now white and untrodden over field and lane over bush and tree over house and barn the air seemed spaced in vistas of cloudy whiteness a purity which suffused itself in the atmosphere and seemed to fill it with particles of impalpable white dust that the motionless air held in suspension the trees glistened in the sun whose rays were silver instead of gold all the world was rhymed with hoar-frost nature presented in beautiful parable the story of the iron hand in the velvet glove for despite the whiteness the softness and the silvery sun it was intensely cold presently through this white world there wended the gloomy little funeral the more gloomy for the lack of any real grief they reached the graveyard where gaped an ugly brown gash beside which the earth lay in frozen clods mr prue's brief prayer was ended and he departed stamping his feet there was the bustle as the coffin was lowered then one by one the onlookers straggled away one by one the vehicles departed until myron holder was left alone by the grave yet not wholly so for my shivered in her arms and old clem humphreys was hastily pushing the earth atop the coffin and presently myron became aware that there was another patient one also for homer wilson came to her side carrying a buffalo robe in his arms he laid it down on the frozen ground and taking her arm drew her gently towards it 
she looked mute thanks to him from eyes round which the slow tears lingered rimming them with grief he came nearer and held out his arms to my but the child cowered closer to his mother and looked at homer from the vantage of her shoulder the little group embodied all the stages in life's progression there was the child cowering in a world already cold to him there was the woman bearing in her countenance the ineffaceable traces of woman's agony there was the young man strong in the choice of will and heart the old man drawing the last coverlet over the last sleep and severed from these by only a short depth of kindred substance she who had passed her bed rapidly rounding to a grave at last clem began patting the mound with the back of his spade his work was nearly done each echoless blow struck upon myron's heart and thinking of the shame she had wrought the dead woman she dealt herself those blows which she had been accustomed to endure from her grandmother's bitterness homer broke the silence which seemed deepened instead of lightened by the thud thud of the spade come myron he said you better go home yes she answered heavily i may as well and she turned to the footpath that led across the graveyard to the road not that way said homer the horses are here the horses she said the horses is your mother waiting for me no he answered a little grimly no she isn't but i am and the horses are he recalled the stormy little scene his mother had made but a little while ago her contemptuous words when he asked her to wait the scornful and bitter accusation she had flung at him it had leaped forth from her lips like an arrow held long at the bowstring it was barbed with all the poison of accumulated suspicion and winged by the impulse of unreasoning anger such as springs within mean breasts against hands that succor them but it had reacted swiftly upon herself for at the words something came into her son's eyes not good to see a blending of surprise indignation denial that paled his face and made it implacable before it mrs wilson faltered in her tirade wavered in her steps and finally turned and crossing quickly to where gamaliel was waiting for his mother was soon seated with mrs deans in the back seat gamaliel backed his horses slowly out of the throng and they drove away the incident had not been unnoticed but no comment had been made although meaning looks of which homer now knew the interpretation were exchanged he had seen some such looks pass between his neighbors of late a hot impotent rage filled his heart against the false position in which he was placed but it did not alter his determination are you waiting for anything homer mr warner could not refrain from calling out before starting yes what of it said homer turning round sharply his brows were knit his lips firm an interrogation not defiant but direct was expressed in every line of face and figure yes 
he said again and unmistakable interrogation this time made the answer a question mr warner shook the reins hastily over his horses oh nothing nothing he said i was only wondering homer turned away abruptly better keep his wonderment to himself he muttered with a frown they better all keep their amazement to themselves or his hand clinched in a very suggestive fashion then he had gone for the buffalo robe for myron to stand on and as he gazed at her forlorn figure his anger changed to deep and abiding pity to stern and righteous wrath so homer drove myron home to the empty cottage with clem humphrey sitting in the bottom of the wagon with his feet dangling over the tailboard a quid of tobacco in his mouth peace within his bosom clem was as he expressed it a dollar to the good and he was meditating unctuously upon the quantity of good canadian rye he could buy with the money and speculating where he could beg borrow or be it admitted steal a jug he had no mind to pay for one out of the dollar mr prue the minister passed he regarded homer and myron with incredulous horror and returned homer's somewhat brusque greeting in a very scandalized way clem took off his hat with a labored flourish mr prue returned his salute with condescending affability and drove on to mrs dean's where presently over hot soda biscuits doughnuts and other good things he praised clem as an humble but very worthy old man humbugging old hypocrite ejaculated the worthy old man as soon as his pastor was out of hearing miserable designing old cuss he is i'd like to use him for bait then this humble follower relapsed into his reverie upon the modus operandi of getting a jug no other words were uttered during the ride homer and myron were both silent both knew that homer had flung down the gauntlet to the gossips both realized the import of the step both pondered upon its significance from the village point of view clem jumped off nimbly when they were opposite mr muir's verdant veranda you are not angry with me myron asked homer oh no she cried you are so good to me i'm good to you for my own sake he answered don't you see that don't you suppose i am looking out for my own happiness he paused don't you think i am he resumed an insistent note in his voice they were near the cottage but she felt obliged to answer but homer she said i have no happiness to give any one what return can i make for this sacrifice they were opposite the cottage clustered heads in the window of the warner house showed how their return had been waited for homer discerned the white muslin rose in his mother's black bonnet and if the sight made his face hard it softened the touch of his hands as he lifted myron down from the high seat and then put the boy in her arms the little gate stood leaning against the fence it had been lifted off its hinges to leave free room for the coffin and its bearers to pass myron paused between the gate-posts homer bent over her i will tell you some day 
he said, what you can give me. Goodbye, she said, and turning, passed down the desolate garden, feeling remorseful that she had left him unthanked. Homer, now that the tenderness evoked by her presence was left unsustained, felt a spiteful defiance waken in his heart. He walked slowly to his horse's heads, pretending to adjust the harness, then, after inspecting them with critical deliberateness, drove slowly past the curious eyes at the window. "'Might as well give them the full benefit of the sight,' he said to himself. "'It seems to strike them as interesting.' All day long, as he swung his axe in the woodland, he mused upon Myron as he had seen her last, with pure, uplifted brow and chin, as she said good-bye. He returned at night, calm and braced, as he thought, to receive a storm of reproaches. He found a table coldly furnished forth for his supper. The kitchen was deserted, and from his mother's room came the hum of voices. Mrs. Wilson expected to crush her son utterly by this isolation, but it was a treatment he could endure much longer than she could suffer to inflict it, for to women of her type the expression of anger in words is essential any repression of speech is a physical pang it was well though for this one night that it should be so for homer's calm was but as the brittle crust that forms on seething lava that neither controls nor cools it that melts at a touch and offers no restraint to the force beneath too hot an anger yet filled his heart to admit of peaceful argument his hand was too ready to clinch yet when he thought of warner's tentative question he ate his supper smoked a peaceful pipe and soon slept dreaming even as he had done all day of the calm sweetness of those patient eyes myron was having her first of solitude passing it in brief watches of wakefulness and shorter spaces of sleep and in the lonely little graveyard a new-made mound was slowly whitening under the falling snow End of chapter fourteen